Hi, this is Matt Chandler here with the Village Church Podcast Show, Episode 10. Joined today by Josh Patterson, as usual, and our special guest, Sam Albury, all the way from Maidenhead, England. We're recording the show on April 15th, so it's that's tax day, so mm-hmm. I thought it was somewhat ironic, Josh, that here on tax day we have a brother from the UK we who do. at one time tried to oppress us and high-tax our tea. Yeah, and, and with representation, I'd have paid the tax on the tea. Would have too, but you know, it just it didn't seem fair and it didn't seem right. But in the end, it's all worked out, and so we would like to extend the olive branch to you. Let's heal wounds it's here. Right we, we burnt down the White House in eighteen twelve. It was so twelve, I think it was eighteen twelve or something, and like that. we rebuilt it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we don't. But yeah, we could do this all day. We could. but um, you know, the gospels healed these wounds, yes. as you can obviously tell by listening Clearly. to this. So, Clearly. Uh, welcome, brother. All at peace. Good to be with you. And and funny note, I think Sam probably knows more about American politics no than most Americans. No so doubt. anyway, with that said, we're excited to have you, Sam. Uh, I'm going to spend re- really the the bulk of this um, the, this podcast show. In fact, the the whole thing, really talking through um, y- your book and and kind of your own story and how God has navigated uh, your world and life. And so Sam is the pastor at St. Mary's Church in Maidenhead, England. Uh, he's the author of several books, including Is God Anti-Gay? He's the coordinator and a contributor at livingout.org, which is a ministry helping Christians who experience same-sex attraction and helping the church understand how to minister to these brothers and sisters. So we're going to talk about in this week's show uh, what the scriptures say about homosexuality and how Christians should navigate navigate this issue and minister to those um, who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And so, Sam, we're excited that you're here. Uh, And so we'll be right back with Sam uh, giving us a glimpse into his life. As we get started here, I think, Sam, I'd just be encouraged just to hear a little bit of your story. I know our listeners would be encouraged to hear that as well. Thank you. So I guess my, my story is, is, is fairly straightforward and brief. Um, for as long as I've had any kind of sexual feelings, they've been for, for people of the same gender. I was conscious growing up as a, as a teenager that I was developing very strong feelings of attachment and attraction to, to particular friends of mine at school and not having corresponding feelings of, of deep attraction to, to the girls I knew. Um, I didn't choose to have those feelings I wasn't made to have those feelings I've come from a very close-knit family happy childhood so no kind of obvious trauma behind these it just happened that as I was developing as a teenager I was conscious of those feelings Um, I became a, a Christian around the age of 18 so kind of before I really had much opportunity to act on those those feelings so I'm very grateful to God for for his intervention at that point um, and as a Christian, it then took me quite a while to kind of admit this was going on in my own life, to share it with others. And it took me a long time to see how it could be part of any good plan God had for me as well. Hmm. Just thinking about your teenage years, your early years as a believer, and you, you talked about some of the, the challenges of of really being open and honest with others about this. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Like, what, what did it, what was the isolation or was it, was it shame or was it, what was, what was going on in your heart there as, as kind of a teenager and a, and a young believer? Yeah, a mixture of things. So there, yeah. there was definitely shame. I was yeah. thinking, goodness me, I've, you know, I must be the worst hmm. kind of sexual pervert in the history of the world. You know, no one else is 
being tempted by the things I'm tempted by. So I felt, I felt shame about what I was experiencing. I, I also felt as though you're not supposed to experience these things if you're a Christian, that this kind of sin was, you know, that's not something Christians should be tempted by or, or have experiences of. So I worried that I was letting the side down, that I would somehow be disappointing my fellow Christians if I ever mentioned it. So I, I just kept it secret for many years. Um, felt very ashamed of it. was also feeling as though if I, if I spoke about it, it would make it more real, it would make it kind of official and more of a thing, and I desperately wanted it to be less of a thing. In, in the conversations or, or the work of the Spirit in your own heart that led you to, to have that first conversation where you did share this, I think you mentioned earlier that, that it was to your pastor was the first person that you shared this with. Can you kind of just lay some of the groundwork uh, that, that the Lord seemed to be setting up in your life to lead you to be comfortable to have that conversation with your pastor, what he did, what he didn't do, and then how yeah. he responded even in that? So in my own heart, God was, I think, just showing me that I couldn't, I couldn't cope with this issue on my own. It was something I needed help from brothers and sisters with. Um, it had been sort of festering away, and much as I tried to sort of live faithfully and, and respond in a godly way, I, I just knew that I needed other people to help right. and to be aware of it and to be praying for it. Um, so and the, let me just even interject there. And what you just described could be said for all of us yeah. regarding any struggle that there is. And, and I know even in my own life and in the pastoral ministry that God's given to me, the enemy will use isolation yeah. and the secrecy of my sin or other sins to drive me into silence uh, about that. And that's a temptation that's not just for those who struggle with same-sex attraction. That's a temptation, period. Yeah, I think that the, the evil one loves secrecy. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, un- unfortunately, I, I think that because sanctification has probably been teached so, taught so poorly um, and because we haven't created environments where it's okay to not be okay, then then a ton of people just feel like Christians shouldn't behave this way or they shouldn't act this right. way or they shouldn't struggle with this or this shouldn't be on their radar. And it's not just same-sex attraction. I think that one's highlighted um, in, in a very real and sad way. Um, in in today's culture, but but I mean I think the things we're saying here too I've seen a billion times mm-hmm. yeah, uh, right. across the spectrum of struggles and and this idea that once you've asked Christ into your heart you no longer struggle you no longer wrestle with doubt you no longer um, struggle with fear you no longer you know have anxieties or um, temptations is is absurd right. and and I think the 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 what I love about Sam's story is his pastor's ability. Um, to teach and preach the gospel in such a way that that he felt able to to come into the light. And I, the other thing I'm I'm just so grateful to God for is is Sam. If, if I'm not mistaken, you had already started. I mean, you're you're actively doing some ministry at this time, are you not? Yep. And so have, teaching the word, and and mm-hmm. so all the more have to believe that you would want to protect. Oh my gosh, I'm not just a Christian, but I'm a Christian that's teaching the Bible. Yep. And so talk a little bit about. Um, you know, back to Josh's original question, the, the things that your pastor did that kind of helped and enabled you to feel safe, like, okay, I can do this, and, and this is a safe place to do that. Well, he had, he had taught on the issue of homosexuality just as he'd been teaching through Romans, and he had taken time in his teaching to, to kind of say to the church family, this is going to be an issue for some of us here. So he kind of gave that expectation that there will be Christians who, who wrestle with this issue. 
And he just, he just kind of spoke with a measure of encouragement and empathy. And he said, I'd hate for any of you to feel like you've got to suffer in silence. Yeah. Please know you're not, you're not on your own. We'd love to help. Please come and share with any of us if, if any of you are struggling with issues like this. So I knew immediately he had a category for, for Christians struggling with this and that he was welcoming people opening up to him about it. So I immediately knew I had permission to say that this would be an issue for me. Yeah. I'm so encouraged by that. My hope, and even as people listen to this podcast, is I think people that are in, quote unquote, our stream and and put a high value on the Bible and love truth tend to wield that truth much more like a hammer than than anything else. And and so I find this issue to be one of those things where they're so fearful that they just kind of want to use the hammer. And, And by using the hammer and decrying from the pulpit, saying things that might even be true in the scriptures... They, they actually sabotage the ability of people to repent and confess and, and come clean. That's good. That's really helpful. Um, the response of your pastor was to thank you for, for sharing that with him and that you felt comfortable. And I think that, I think that just says a lot about an atmosphere of grace yeah. that is not compromising on the truth of Scripture, but recognizing that the truth of Scripture would also compel us to love our brothers and sisters and love them towards the light and to be a place where, where that, that's where we all want to be. Yeah, yeah it, it also instructed me as someone now in, in pastoral ministry that actually when someone opens up about anything that's, that's deep and painful and personal, that's, that's a big thing they're entrusting to Absolutely. you. Yes. And therefore, mm-hmm. you know, I've, it's taught me to, to thank people myself when they disclose personal things to me. It's good. Just thinking about this and, and some listening and, and certainly in the wider cultural conversation, there are questions about why is the issue of homosexuality such a big issue? What, is it a gospel issue? Why is it a gospel issue? Uh, I'd like just to have a conversation around that. Why, why is this issue a gospel issue or is it? I think it is uh, for, for, for two reasons. One, one is that in, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom yeah. of God, and he includes, among other things, those who practice homosexuality unrepentantly. Um, and therefore, this, this is an issue where someone's eternal destiny is at stake. Yeah. And mm. so if we start to say as Christians, well, actually, you can, you can live a, a gay lifestyle, and that's fine, 1 Corinthians 6 says we are sending people to hell. Yeah. So that, for that reason alone, it's a gospel issue. But the other reason is that in, in um, Revelation 2, when Jesus addresses the church in Thyatira, he rebukes them for tolerating someone he describes as the prophetess Jezebel, by whose teaching, he says, his people are led, led into sexual sin. He doesn't just rebuke her for doing the teaching. He rebukes the church that tolerates that kind of teaching. Yeah. So in other words, if we, if we don't want to receive the, the rebuke of Christ, we, we can't allow that kind of teaching to be going on in our churches. And to reiterate what you just said is, is the emphasis there is on the unrepentant living. The, um, it, it's not the temptation towards any one particular sin. It's not the struggle mm. with any one particular sin, the tripping up maybe even yep. with one particular sin. It's the blatant, unrepentant lifestyle of sin, yeah. and and this being one of them. And in First Corinthians six, we see one of many. 
Exactly, and I love how Paul kind of puts it there because he, he says, and, and such were some, some of you. Yeah, amen. In other words, this was what you were up to and what you were into. It's not who you are now. But the very fact Paul has to say, don't be deceived, these kinds of things won't, won't lead you to heaven, shows that there's perhaps still a temptation. There's right. still maybe a residual tug of some kind. It's not just, it's not as if the temptation has evaporated now that you're a Christian. You still need to be warned. You still need to be reminded, but it is not who you are. Something that, that strikes me even in that passage, just staying on that, and such were some of you, that, that Paul is speaking in terms even of identity mm. and how this, there's a change fundamentally when we are born again. We're born into a new identity where we're no longer marked or labeled by what we were, but mm. we are now in him. And just, well, and that's how the text actually ends. It, it goes completely on the activity of Christ and the passivity of the recipient of yeah. the gospel. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. So it that, that whole text ends, he Paul ties it off with, hey, you have been passive here, Christ has been active, Christ hmm. sanctified you, Christ justified you, um, Christ is the one who gave you a, a new identity so that you're no longer a reviler or practice homosexuality or you're, you're now in, you're now been washed and sanctified and mm. justified. That's good. That's beautiful, actually, isn't it? Because it, it goes from what you were doing to what has been done for you. Mm. Yeah. It's not that you've got, to, you've got to undo what you did. Right. You did do these things, but... Christ has done this for you. And, and all the while under the, I just think this is so key, all the while under the same umbrella that you need to fight. Yeah. You know, you need to fight. It, it, there will be the pull back to being a reviler. There will yeah. be the pull back to, so you said it this past weekend in the sermon you preached here at the village on, you know, Trinity and prayer, but but you said we've got, um, <laughs> we've got new software running on old hardware. I just thought yeah. that was such a good just such a good picture of kind of the pull in us and the kind of glitches that we feel at times. Thinking about churches and church leaders and, and the cultures of churches, and, and Matt, we've talked about this a lot, and um, something that we really fight for at the village and hope for is to have a culture at the church that is, it's a gospel culture. It's informed by the gospel, um, and that the, the atmosphere would be gospel. That's what people sense and feel, and um, and and I've been a part of other cultures, and we're certainly not a perfect culture by any stretch. But I've been a part of other cultures where where their doctrinal statement is crisp and clean and gospel uh, driven, but the culture, the air of of the yeah. feel of the place, mm-hmm. isn't that. And and as we're kind of talking about same sex attraction or really I- any sin issue, but particularly same sex attraction today in this conversation. What are some things that need to be there for a church to have both the prophetic element of yeah. speaking the truth, mm. but not forgetting the other in love, and that there really is this compassion and grace and prophetic word that is it's there, and what you what you come out seeing is the gospel. Yeah, um, I think in the Bible, truth and kindness go together. Yeah, so you you can't be kind to someone if you're withholding God's truth yeah. from them. And similarly, if you are sharing God's truth, God's truth is kind. Um, it's a word of grace. And so sometimes I think we can think we're being truthful because we're saying scripturally true things. But if we're saying them in the wrong way, in the wrong tone, with the wrong intent, we're not actually being biblically truthful. So truth and kindness being together, I think, is a, is a key thing. I think as well, 
it, it's always got to start with us. And, and when we know, truly know what we have been forgiven yeah. by the Lord, that will then shape how we view other people. I, I love how Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I'm sure he hasn't objectively tried to yeah. kind of calculate. Actually, right. I've worked out he, I sinned a bit more than everybody else <laughs> ever has. But it's that kind of thing. When you know your own heart, you can't believe that there's anyone else out there who's yeah. worse than you are. And so I think if, if we've let grace humble us, that will protect us from looking down on other people and yeah. being demeaning to them. We will just think, goodness me, if the Lord can, can save me, then there's no one else who's, who's beyond his reach. And that will affect our demeanor, it will affect our posture and our tone. Will, will you talk a little bit about the role of, because I've heard you do it and I've heard it several other places, um, would you talk about the role of hospitality in, in regards to um, walking in deep relationships with those who um, either self-identify as gay, mm-hmm. struggle with same-sex attraction, are in that space? I, I, what's the role of hospitality in in the church towards those in particular who uh, maybe are professing believers struggling mm-hmm. uh, or maybe they're unbelievers that are trying to navigate what it means to to surrender their life to Christ and and what they would have to forfeit to, yeah. to do that. Yeah, hospitality in the Bible is a huge thing, and, it, and it, it really is opening our lives and homes to others. It's not trying to put on a show. It's not trying to kind of paint a rosy picture of our home life. It's just being real with people, including them in our lives. And I think hospitality plays a, a huge role with with any kind of context where we need a real kind of relationship. Yeah, And so particularly for people from the LGBT community who will instinctively feel Christians are against me. They're not expecting Christians to be kind or nice. Actually, to, to open up your home and to say, I want you to be part of my life, This we want you to feel welcome in this home, can do a lot to kind of show people actually something of the fragrance of how the gospel has shaped us and our longings for them. Um, Rosaria Butterfield, who's, who's written a great book with her own testimony, shares how someone coming from a, a lesbian background herself, how hospitality was key for her. It was the hospitality of a, a Christian couple. They were the people she felt most safe yeah. going to when life was falling apart, when she needed a shoulder to cry on. And I just think that's a beautiful testimony. And we won't all be great evangelists. We won't all be great apologists. Actually, most of us can share our home. Yeah and invite others into it. I heard um, Julie Rogers, who's up at Wheaton, I asked a question uh, earlier based on what she said in our Restore this morning, but um, I, I saw um, a, a talk that she gave where she talked about being a, a member of an evangelical church, celibate, gay Christian, and um, and, and she said that they're, that those types of acts of hospitality. She says, not everybody, you you can live without sex, but you can't live without intimacy. We were designed for it. So she told multiple stories of just members of that church that would say, if you ever feel like you're lacking intimate connections with people, and that becomes a struggle, you have a bed here, you have a room here, you have a, and, and this church had really loved and served her by just saying, you always have a place to come. You yeah. can come and play with our kids. You can come hang out with us. We love you. Come be a part of our world. Be be an adopted, you know, Aunt Julie. I, I thought yeah. that was a profound kind of 
way to show the love of Christ. Where, you know, I think of Jesus looking at Zacchaeus and the treatment. That's just yeah. the most deplorable person of his day, a tax collector. And and Jesus saying, hey, come down. We're going to your house. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to eat dinner together tonight. I just think that's a profound part of all of this. And, and because God is a God who has taken us in. Yeah taking other people in has has a profound effect we, we shouldn't be surprised if that becomes significant in the lives of others and for ourselves this is we have kind of drifted a bit into the practical discussion i want to stay here and and ask some questions so if, if a parent is listening to this and you uh this parent is uh has a teenage son or daughter that has confessed this to them how does a parent navigate this what are the what are the conversations look like what how would you encourage that family to to move forward or uh, just what does it look like at that point yeah i think there are a few things to to try to say to the parent the first is is don't freak out yeah um because sometimes we kind of we can think this is this is world shattering um on one level that your child is just telling you that they're a sinner this is this is the particular kind of sin that they happen to be dealing with and and experiencing and struggling with so don't make out that this is catechismic just because that that is i think you just need to you know your teenager has sexual temptations that is not headline news you know right, right. they're a teenager <laughs> um so don't, don't freak out um i think bear in mind that most likely your child will have felt some level of apprehension and nervousness about sharing that with you hmm just because of, you know, how big a deal this issue can be to in, in, in life today. So I think the first thing to, to do is just to let your child know how much you love them, how, how glad you are that they've shared that with you, how that is always the right thing to do, you know, anything that's going on in your life, we, we want you to feel able to share that with us. Yeah. So affirm the fact that they've done that. And again, I wouldn't think you've got to go straight to Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, at this point, it's just kind of they've been vulnerable. Um, embrace them. Let them know you love them. Find out how they are. Just kind of get a bit of the backstory, whatever they're comfortable sharing, and get a feel for where they're where they're at on the issue. And then give them what a friend of mine described as a thoroughly good listening to. Hmm. In other words, listen first and then seek the Lord's guidance about what to say maybe on the next occasion. What about those families where those conversations weren't handled well, um, that there has been an estrangement, uh, and maybe over years, and the family is a Christian family and the son or the daughter has not chosen to follow in the foot? What does it look like to repair a relationship that has been broken along these lines? I think for the the parent it means... um, swallowing any pride that may be preventing right. you from saying, you know what, I don't think I handled that in, yeah. a, very, in a very good way. And that, that's, that's got to be a tough thing for any parent to say to a child, but actually to, to be unafraid of repenting before them actually might be something the Lord uses very powerfully. So if you know that you kind of didn't react in the way you should have done, just, just come clean on that and say, I'm sorry, um, you know, I so want you to be part of my life. I so want to be part of your lives. Bear in mind, it may take a while for the for the the child to feel they can for begin the trust to come to be back. Reestablish, yeah. sure. But but be playing the long game here, and so yeah. don't think well. I've invited them once; they haven't replied. Therefore, it's over. Just keep keep letting them know 
you're open for business, you'd love to see them. Um, if, if your child is in a, in a same-sex partnership, show that you want to get to know both, both people. Don't, don't make it one of these things where you're going to shun the partner. Actually say, I think it's good for a parent to say, I'd love to get to know your partner. Anyone who's, who's a close friend of yours, we, we, we would love to know and have around to our home as well and reach out to. I, I found that, so I, I've got a dear friend whose daughter uh, has a partner. And I think sometimes where it gets, I think where they end up, kind of misfiring is um so he'll he'll ask his daughter hey come we're going on vacation i'm taking the family and then she'll go okay i want to bring my, my partner and then you know he feels inclined i you know I, if you were just dating a, a man uh, i wouldn't let you bring him and sleep in the same room with him so you, she's welcome to come but she's gonna be on the couch so it, it, the dynamics really are uh, they, they truly are dynamics i mean there there's a lot yeah. of moving parts and a lot of strange situations to have to lovingly navigate but yeah, it's great. Is it is it disingenuous or how how is it received um, in with with kind of the idea of I I disapprove of how you've chosen to live your life, but I love you. Is that is that standoffish? Is that disingenuous? Or is that is that the conversation that needs to be had? How would you how would you coach somebody there? I think we've got to be able to, to do both things. Yeah. Um, I think Christ calls us to do both things. Yeah. He calls us to be. To have integrity with our witness, so we need to say at certain points, I don't think that's right. Right. But that can never, that must never be heard to to mean, and now I don't love you. Right. So I think we want to learn how to say, I don't think that's the right course for your life. You know that. I'll, you know, we've gone through this. But you know you are always welcome in this home. You know that we love you. Um, and so I, I, I just think we need to keep, it comes back to hospitality, in a way, isn't it? Opening our hearts and homes and lives to, to people. So, thinking about uh, a church and and a church that on on a weekend has visitors attending, and um, on this particular weekend, a gay couple visits, fills out a first time guest card, and it's time to follow up. What is? How would you coach a pastoral team on that conversation? I think, yeah, thank thank God they've come. That's great because yeah. um, you know. A lot of gay people may think church is the place to avoid, but they've right. they've come, so that's that's wonderful. Thank God for that. Pray for them, um, and as you follow them up, just say, you know, it, it's been great that you've come. We'd love to see you again. If you if you want to come back, you're always welcome to come along. And what I think you want to do is you want to try and get them. You don't want to start by talking about their homosexuality and then try and get from that to the gospel. You want to start with the gospel, and yeah. so I would say this to anyone of any kind of background who comes to, to the church. We want you to to enjoy what we do here, to feel part of of the group, um, to receive friendship and, and see something of our community life, but what we most want is for you to come and, and receive Christ. And this, this is what we have come to believe about Jesus. This is why he came. We'd love to help you understand that. And really make that the priority and and give them Christ. And well, pray that as you do so, that he, he draws them to himself. And if he does, then at some point you're going to need to think about what it might mean for them to follow him. But I'd much rather start at the center and work outwards from that than start with their homosexuality and try and get from that to the gospel. Right. Well, and so. that's true about really any sin. I mean, it we want to appeal to all sinners 
that the foot of the cross is level mm-hmm. uh, and that there's always yeah. room. And so really on this topic and on really any topic of, of sinfulness, really the answer is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And um, we, we've got a thousand, if not thousands upon thousands of trophies of God's grace that that he ransoms and rescues mm-hmm. out of scenarios, situations, and backgrounds in which a lot of people would look and say it's impossible. And so, man, if you've been listening today and um, you, you find yourself um, in in the, this struggle, j- just know that you are loved and known by God and mm-hmm. that, um, that, that really what Christ has called us to is confession and repentance and the ongoing ethic of those things. You might put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ and be ransomed and rescued um, by his blood. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, on the Village Church Podcast Show. Uh, Sam's going to be with us tonight uh, doing a forum here at TBC that'll be online uh, soon. Uh, And we've entitled that forum really the same title as his book, which I would strongly recommend you pick up, uh, Is God Anti-Gay? And so thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time at the Village Podcast Show.